We are all tasters because tasting is just thinking while eating or drinking. Welcome to the Pass Your Passion podcast, episode 39. I'm Brian Hoffer, and today we have Chris on competitive coffee making. Yes, that's right. I said competitive coffee making. Chris is a former barista and also a second place holder in both the 2018 and 2019 Canadian National Barista Competitions. Chris was in the coffee industry for about a decade, now working in data science and client solutions. This episode is really interesting. It's not just about the cup of coffee that we talk about. We don't just focus on what it means to be a barista, which is already an interesting enough conversation with how many baristas we know, how many baristas we've interacted with throughout our lives as we come and go to get our morning caffeine or our afternoon conversational drink or whatever it might be. We look deeper into it. We, we talk about taste appreciation. We, we go over the ins and outs of coffee competition. And, and Chris emphasizes that power of storytelling in the world of coffee and the power that it can have in that appreciation. So sit back, grab your favorite beverage. Maybe it's a cup of coffee. Maybe it's something else. And enjoy Chris on competitive coffee making on the Pass Your Passion podcast. I'm always interested in in how these conversations start. I don't want to just have, you know, a set planned in mind. So what is drawing me to start to want to talk with you is I see you have an oat shirt. I assume it has nothing to do with oat milk, but I think this is where we're going to start. It was, we're just going to ask, what are your thoughts on oat milk? Yeah, yeah, this is, this is actually really funny and really... Um, really actually quite a good happenstance before i launch into um what the oats is I, I figured i could give you a little bit of background i when the pandemic started and i started working from home i started to develop a habit of just wearing whatever black crew neck t-shirt i have monday through fridays and that's oats this black t-shirt that i have with the big letters oats across the front um, happens to be one of them. Okay. And believe it or not, it is a shirt that entirely relates to oat milk. Oh, it is. Well, oh, I was, I was joking mostly, but I'm so happy that this is working out. Now I want to know, did you put this on purposefully or was this a subconscious decision today that worked out? No, I, it was completely by coincidence. It's one of the black t-shirts I have on rotation and I just so happened to pick it for today. Nice. Um, this is, this is actually a, I guess a piece of swag or, you know, merch, I get it's not merch. I didn't buy it. Swag's a good word. Yeah. 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 It's from the oat milk company Oatly which you're probably familiar with. They're, they're founded in uh, Sweden, I believe, and they entered into the U.S. market a number of years ago um, and now have operations in the U.S. They distribute across uh, the Europe, Australasia, uh, through some of Asia, uh, and then North America now. Um, my thoughts on oat milk is that it is... Well, well, let's take a pause here. Are these sponsored thoughts? Now that we know that you have received free swag from Oatly, I don't know if this, uh, the answer that you come up with is going to be completely unbiased. But nonetheless, we'll have a disclaimer in asterisks when we hear, <laughs> what are your thoughts on oat milk? So, so full disclosure, no, I am not sponsored. I was participating in an event uh, that they did sponsor. Um, so I guess I... I was adjacent to some of the sponsorship work that they were doing. Um, my thoughts on oat milk as a whole is that it's a pretty delicious uh, milk substitute to use, especially when it comes to substituting dairy milk and comparing it with the other options that we have available, whether that's soy, almond, rice milk, coconut milk, etc. 
but like any other plant-based milk, it does um, it does suffer from the same challenges of not having the same fat and protein profile that dairy milk has. Uh, and as a result, the barista formulations that cafes would have to use are, are exactly that. They're formulations. They have added various different things to make them more effective, which is not that it, which doesn't mean that it's bad. It's just uh, something that people should be aware of. That was a, a very whole answer. Uh, I, I like it. I like it. Yeah, though, I, I noticed a lot of those barista editions coming up and they even sell them in stores now for a lot of the different brands that, that I was seeing around. Maybe a little bit more interesting is that uh, the event in which Oatly sponsored that I had received this t-shirt at was specifically a boot camp geared towards providing barista competition training for people who are in positions where they otherwise would not easily have access to uh, training, teaching, uh, competition, explanations, etc. And uh, I was a coach for that uh, for that event. That was where I was going to go next is, you know, we've met so many baristas in the world. We all know someone who is a barista. And I think what really makes you stand out is that you are here. I'm, I'm pulling it up here. You're, you've placed second in both the 2018 and 2019 Canadian National Barista Competitions. So this is the first I'm hearing of there being a barista competition, that there, there is competitive uh, barista-ing, I guess maybe would be the verb there. Now, is that is that normally what you hear from most people when, when you mention your accolade? I try to mention the accolades as, as little as possible, so I don't really hear it often. But um, yeah, mostly people are completely surprised that there are these kinds of things. But I think, you know, with any niche interest or anything that is uh, aligned with craft, that competitions spring up naturally somehow here or there. And so there are, there are all sorts of, uh, you know, whether it's, I, I, I learned about this recently, there's a porridge making competition. That is amazing. Thank you for sharing that. I, I did not know that. Yeah, so um, it's actually quite a big thing. There is a, an organization in the U.S. called the Specialty Coffee Association. They, they used to be called the Specialty Coffee Association of America, but a few years ago, they actually merged with their European counterpart to create a, essentially a, a, global, um, a global specialty coffee business forward organization that's meant to create resources uh, and uh, trading networks and business networks for those who are part of the specialty coffee industry. And they have a partner organization called the World Coffee Events. And this event organization essentially maintains and manages the competition rules and helps sanction competition events globally surrounding all sorts of coffee-related events, whether that's tasting, being a barista, brewing the coffee, like making pour overs, uh, roasting, uh, and, and the like. The competition that I participated here in Canada was a World Coffee Events sanctioned national competition, specifically focused on the barista competition. I'm curious to, to know the kind of origins of your competitive relationship with coffee. It, did, did it begin where you're working at a coffee shop and you're competing with other baristas, you know, for fun. And then one day you see a poster on, uh, you know, on the employee in the employee lounge in the back of the shop. What, what are your origins of how you come to compete in something that maybe people just see as a transaction, uh, on their way to work, getting a morning cup of coffee? Yeah, that's a good question. I worked as a barista for a number of years, uh, like any good psychology graduate does when they finish university. <laughs> uh, it's a little bit of a dig, but 
I, I really fell in love with the, the idea that you could understand a product and its, its provenance purely based on its taste and preparation. That the experience of something would be enough to tell you a little bit of its story and where it was from. Uh, and I love that about all food, but coffee really captured my interest. So uh, I worked as a barista in a few different shops. Um, and then I landed at one shop in particular that uh, kind of accelerated um, my access to knowledge and learning surrounding coffee. And it was during that time that I learned about barista competitions. And then I thought, you know what? That's not for me. <laughs> that is uh, not a thing for me. It seems like a lot of work. It seems like a lot of pageantry. I don't understand the value of it. It wasn't until I, along with some friends, started a kind of collective of sorts. Here in Vancouver, we started hosting events. We called ourselves Coffee Potluck. You know, we're no longer operating today, but we were around for about two and a half years where we would operate events almost on a monthly basis. And we would basically do a coffee tasting potluck. People would bring their coffees and then we would brew them up and taste them. And then we'd share notes and share what we taste in the coffees and maybe why the coffees taste the way they do. And that eventually led to us having ideas of doing bigger events featuring people in the industry, hosting talks, etc. Around, I think, 2017, Canada had undergone certain organizational changes in regards to what businesses or what groups of people were permitted to host these World Coffee Events sanctioned competition events. And as a result of that, there was a plan uh, from Canada's local specialty coffee association chapter to begin uh, hosting coffee events, co coffee competition events. And they wanted to figure out a way to kick it off and host an evening with talks and a Q&A and a panel. And it, it actually fell on uh, Coffee Potla, or it didn't fall on us, we volunteered to, to organize this event. And we had a friend we knew in the industry who had being a national champion and had represented Canada internationally, come and talk about it. We had someone from World Coffee Events come and talk about it. And they talked about the, the, the value of competition to the individual barista, but also from a business perspective. Because the process of training, the access to the high-end coffee that people are using, the travel expenses, the cost for all the gear that you might want to purchase, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All these things require time and, of course, money. So a lot of businesses are often asked upon to either sponsor coffee competition events or uh, the event we hosted was kind of an appeal to have businesses recognize the business value of having your baristas compete in competition. And that event changed my mind a lot. It really made me realize that, hey, if I'm serious about developing myself as a industry professional on the customer facing side of finding ways where I can grow in my understanding of coffee as a beverage, um, understand what things in the competition space they look for from a technical preparation standpoint, what are ways in which I can become a barista and competition was an avenue. That's kind of what kicked off my, my interest and my desire to start considering chasing after that journey. Yeah. I, I like that you talk about the idea of wanting your, your food or your drink and, and specifically coffee in this situation to tell a story for you to be able to taste something out of it. And kind of looking originally at competition at something that might distract from that. And then giving this situation a chance, it sounds like with good technique, with good competition, a barista can be part of the story of that final cup of coffee. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? That is such a good and succinct way to put it. And it's, uh, it's in fact, I would say the goal of 
the barista competition is to be in my mind on two parts one it's a tasty coffee competition so the beverages produced have to be delightful to the palate. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, it is a competition where a barista demonstrates that they understand why, whether that's the provenance of the coffee or all of the intervention that has happened between when the, the coffee tree was planted into the ground to when the beverage was finally prepared, all the things along that journey that would that would lead the coffee to taste the way it does and culminating in this competition in the barista's hands, what they are doing and what interventions they are uh, taking to modulate or influence the way this beverage is gonna taste. So to demonstrate those two things is from my, from my perspective was what I learned uh, as the goal of what a winner in the competition would achieve, but also as the goal of what I, as someone who uh, was pursuing competition, what I would learn in the process. It sounds like a lot of what you want out of the competition is for the coffee to tell that story rather than you as the barista. Now, I'm curious, kind of two-part question of, are you allowed in the competition to tell the story of what you've created, why you've created it, how you created it verbally? Are you allowed to do that? Or is it all meant to be in the cup itself? And then part two, do you consider that part of the story if you are or aren't allowed, the kind of verbal part of where the coffee comes from, what you did and why you did it? Do you appreciate that part of it? Or do you think the cup should stand on its own and tell that story by itself? I think that, and I'm generalizing here, but I think that no product can stand on its own. At the end of the day, if it is presented without context and in a vacuum, if the person who is experiencing it also has no context, then it's often, a, I think it's a lost experience. The benefit of having uh, a menu with descriptions for different food or to Maybe uh, someone who really loves beer or the brewmaster to tell you why the beer tastes that way or, or for even marketing to exist around uh, a consumer product. Those are all things that impact the way that we experience them. So I, I, don't, I don't personally think that any product in and of itself uh, can truly stand on its own without context. And that kind of leads me into the first part of the question, which is absolutely. In fact, the competition format is 15 minutes from beginning to end where the barista must uh, must explain to the judges at minimum what they should expect to taste. And the barista is scored uh, whether they're accurate, whether what they say the coffee will taste like, whether what they say the cappuccino will taste like, whether what they say their signature beverage, which is a beverage of their own creation, uh, will taste like, whether the judges actually taste it in the cup. And if they don't, you lose points. If they taste something that you didn't describe, you lose points. The part of the briefs to demonstrating their mastery is being able to articulate what the judges are going to experience. And I imagine some of that expertise that you were able to gain came from those, uh, I believe the, the clever, ne cleverly named, uh, was it potlucks, those potluck events, right? Were, were chances to practice that, that very storytelling. Absolutely. You know, that was one aspect that I hadn't really thought a whole lot about. Um, whenever I think about what formed the basis of my, my experience and training and preparation for these competitions was primarily from work because of all the access that I, that I had from my workplaces. Um, but Coffee Potluck did play, now that I look back, quite a big role because it allowed um, everyone who was involved to have more access to tasting experiences and to developing their palate and developing their their breadth in a way that I hadn't thought about before. So I'm curious to see, you know, I, I, I found it a little bit humorous that the judges will determine whether they 
believe a subjective truth, not an objective truth about what is in or not in the coffee, right? As they're tasting yeah. it. Like if you say, oh, there's a, there's a hint of, uh, of chocolate or of figs or whatever you might describe, and then they try it with their completely different taste buds and they go, mm, I don't taste figs in here. You lose a point, you know, whatever it may be. How, how do you feel about the kind of subjectivity of the judgment in that they get to say whether something is there or not, if you've told them the story and then, you know, kind of just thinking and brainstorming around, was that the way that the potluck events were? I imagine they were much more open and forgiving and much more community oriented. And there, you know, when you get to this real authentic competition, there's more criticism and more harshness. How do you feel about the subjective truths that are kind of put out there in this storytelling where it doesn't seem like someone's completely free to tell whatever story they want because if the judge tastes a different story then they get to you know manipulate that and control that yeah you know it's it's fun because immediately as you mentioned this my my thoughts go in three different directions. <laughs> so if you'll indulge me, indulge me a little bit, we'll branch off and- You've indulged me. I would love to indulge you. That's what this Thank is you. about. Thank you. Uh, we can go off into kind of three parallel branches here. Um, You're very organized when I ask these big questions. So I thank you for indulging me in my multi-part questions. And you, you have these great anchor points. You're following me, I'm following you. We're having a great time. That's good. That's good. I'm having fun. Um, from from the perspective where we were in at Coffee Potluck doing these tastings, I think there was a really high um, kind of importance placed on creating a safe and accepting environment where people could express how they taste. And it's true to what you say. It's subjective. These tasting notes, you know, whether someone tastes fig or someone tastes chocolate or someone tastes whatever. Um, all of our life experience informs the way that we experience something. And especially myself growing up as a, as a Taiwanese Canadian here in Vancouver, I got to eat foods um, that my family would cook that is not conventionally found in the palate here in, in Canadian Western food in Canada. So, so some, some of the flavors that I may associate with a, a very interestingly roasted coffee might remind me of savory notes that I would find in soy sauce or that I would find in, in um, various fermented tofu pro uh, uh, soybean products, as, other soybean products as well. But someone who didn't grow up having those experiences may not understand that. Uh, and so at Coffee Potluck, we wanted to ensure that people wouldn't just say, no, that's wrong, that's not there. Uh, because that would be going through the process of invalidating someone else's experience, which doesn't really work. So there's that element, which I think is is real when it comes to the tasting experience and trying to learn how to communicate um, with people across different cultural experiences or different uh, food experiences. But that being said, within that realm, there is the opportunity for calibration. And that kind of takes me to the second point, where within the industry in coffee, there are now universities and research institutions that um, help research all sorts of things from the agricultural and agronomic aspect of coffee. These things are especially important in in I think places like the University of Texas in Austin that has like a huge agronomy program, but also in coffee producing countries like Colombia, Brazil, different countries in Asia that will have universities that have um, agricultural research into coffee because they're very high value export crops in those countries. But there's also a lot of research on the sensory side as well. UC Davis being another university that is building a coffee facility to do research on the impact of roasting or the understanding of what molecules in coffee cause us to experience what kind of flavors. As a result, uh, organizations like the SCA, the Specialty Coffee Association of America, or Specialty Coffee Association, 
have commissioned research institutions to create benchmarks or calibrations. So they're able to associate the more common tastes and flavors, whether that's fruits, flowers, nuts, spices, etc., within coffee to uh, a chemical equivalent, whether that's an acid, so a type of acid, malic acid, acetic acid, tartaric acid, etc., or to an external food product produced by a large manufacturer. So Welch's white grape juice as a benchmark. And what that allows is it allows for a lot of people to begin to develop a common language. And it allows for people to take what otherwise would have been a subjective experience and find a way to have an objective reference point. I mean, they may get to that experience from different places, but then when you give them that reference point, then they're able to, to taste that in the coffee and uh, so on. And there are kind of folding back into the coffee potluck side, there were opportunities to help participants and members calibrate to things like the difference between acid or sourness and bitterness. Because sometimes that can be confusing and that can be hard to, to kind of dissociate within the flavors when all you really taste is coffee. Um, so there are those elements. I wouldn't feel too worried because in the competition atmosphere, there are four judges, four sensory judges that have to taste. And afterwards, there is also a head judge which tastes. And afterwards, they get together and they debrief and they take notes during your performance and they debrief and talk about the accuracy of your flavor descriptors and those kinds of things. So the third element of that is kind of how the barista works their way into uh, engaging with the judges. So for me, I worked with not a, not a team, but my, my then girlfriend, now wife, uh, came with me on two of those occasions to competitions. In one of those occasions, I had a coach. You get time to prepare before your performance, your competition performance, to taste your coffee and adjust your recipe and do different things. And during those moments, uh, we would taste. And we would try to see, because coffee is such a, it's a product that changes a lot, especially when you're using coffee in a setting that you haven't been in before, the flavors that you experience when you practice may now be different than when you're competing on the day of. They may shift a little bit. What otherwise might've been red apple might now be like a, like a ripe pear. Uh, what could have been, you know, uh, a green grape can now be green apple. They, they, they may be similar, but, but different enough for you to go, oh, that, that's not quite the same. What, how can I best describe this? And that is a process of preparation and working with your team, working with people around you to support you. And then the other thing that I did is I went around to the other competitors and I had them taste my beverages and I had them tell me, hey, what do you taste? And sometimes they would be tight-lipped and they would just say, oh, damn, that coffee tastes so good. I, I don't want to talk to you anymore. And they would walk away. <laughs> or other times, they all, most of the other competitors are my friends. And so we would support each other and taste each other's coffees and share notes and, and, and kind of cheer each other on and, and provide, provide guidance. There was one time where my coffee changed and I was like, there's that flavor. I recognize it so well. What is it? I got a friend to taste it. And he's like, that is a, that is like a Concord grape. Oh yeah, that's right. hundred percent. That's what it tastes like. It didn't taste like this when I was practicing. When I was practicing, it tasted a little bit more, like it had a lot more tropical fruits, but today it's a little bit different. So I'm going to use that. I got feedback later from the judges that my tasting notes were on point, that what I described was exactly what they tasted. So it really depends. Um, there are you know, different ways that the subjective experience can on the one hand be respected in a non-competition world, but also there are opportunities to create benchmarks, which is what we use in the competition world to try and ensure that everyone is trying to speak the same language. But then the third aspect, which is really about the command that the barista has to be able to think about other possibilities and other experiences and other ways to describe something. And then there's, I guess, part of that 
3A and 3B. 3B would be the judges actually are able to, to discuss amongst themselves and, and ensure that what, what they experience could be defensible. Fantastic organization of your response. <laughs> I just, just want to once again say with everything going on, I saw all the moving pieces around and I really appreciate that response. And I like that you said that idea of your personal experiences, your identity comes into the flavor. And that might not be something that the judges can see. And I think I, I have a few different questions here, but I'll, I'll try and keep it in different, different stages. Do you bring your own story, you know, going back to that first part that you addressed, do you bring your own story into the story of the coffee when it comes up? If you taste soy sauce as part of it, some people might want not want their coffee to taste like soy sauce. That note might be a, a very negative note, but to some people, it might be very comforting. It might remind them of a specific memory, like when you maybe attached it to that. So do you bring your personal stories, your personal flavor notes that others might not relate to, to the judges? Or in the sense of competition, do you focus on the strategy of shared recognizable flavors, like you said before, something that everyone can find? Is your goal to stay true to, to your personal story or is your goal to find a shared relatable experience or does it depend from competition to competition and how you're feeling on that day? Yeah. So to take a tangent that will lead to my answer Please. Uh, to your question. And it, I think with anything that involves presentation, public speaking, uh, essentially an unchallenged platform for 15 minutes where everyone else has to be quiet and you have to talk or you get to talk and everyone else gets to listen to you. I think everyone will approach competition with a slightly different uh, perspective and desire. And there are a lot of people who uh, take advantage of that platform in uh, good ways where they have something within the industry that they really care about and they wanna share. And so they use the opportunity of competition to raise issues that are worth talking about, whether that's, the, the use of dairy milk within our industry and that impact on, on our ecosystems and on our environment and its impact on climate change, whether that's the Western perspective on tasting notes and flavors, whether it's the challenges within existing gender discrimination within the barista industry, et cetera. Those are, I think, things worth talking about. For myself, my perspective was, it's a competition and there are rules and I'm playing to win. So I'm going to share uh, about myself. And when you prepare a presentation, you have a lot of freedom to talk about whatever you want to talk about. And part of the competition, there's a large chunk of points that relates to the professionalism of the barista. And that's a very loaded word and hard to kind of disaggregate into its components. But it has to do ultimately with whether the judges feel like you will be a good representative for the industry. I believe that speaking from the heart and finding connection between people on the one hand represents the spoken joy of many baristas in their work. Um, and then also what someone who takes the role of ambassadorship strongly might want to be skilled at. Uh, so in my presentations, I, of course, shared a bit about myself, my story, my emotional connection to experiences and why they inform what I taste in this coffee or how the story of how I received the coffee or was able to source it or when I connected with producers, why we were able to share an understanding because of their experience and my experience, why we were able to cross culture and how that results in something beautiful to create those moments and points where myself and the people who I'm speaking with, my audience can connect. But that also at the end of the day was done in service to score more points. It's to do, it's to try and do as well as I can to win as many points as I possibly can in this competition to, to play the game as it is designed. That was my perspective. 
So would I say it tastes like soy sauce? No. I might frame it and explain why there are roasted and fermented elements that remind me of foods that I've tasted in my heritage, but come out as the roasted, freshly cracked cacao nib that has yet to be conched into chocolate. <laughs> I might find an, a, another analog or a way to present it in a way that may be more appealing to the audience that I'm speaking with. I'm, I'm hearing process nuance. You immediately have that soy sauce. You have a memory that you just attached as you tried it. It was instantaneous, but you know that you need to translate that, as you said. You need to connect it. You need to find a shared experience, and you realize that your judges might not all be able to relate to that. So what is that shared experience? And finding the bridge, okay, there's fermented notes, there's roasted notes, those are the key characteristics in maybe soy sauce, but also maybe, and kind of just repeating back what you're saying here, that's so clever. It's also in, I think you said, un, you said uncracked cacao nib. Was that what you connected it to? Yeah, just like a freshly roasted cacao. Sure. So you found shared characteristics in something relatable and were able to kind of cross that bridge. Mm -hmm. And the notes are still there inherently, but you're able to communicate to, a, to an audience that might understand it. And I, and I also like that you highlighted in your tangent that idea, something that I was thinking of as you first explained it, the very westernization of the shared profile notes, right? That idea, you mentioned that this is a way to make it less subjective, is there are shared common ways to identify things that you talked about during your potluck sessions. But then I thought to myself, who comes up with those? You know, everything inherently has its layers of subjectivity. We can make things less subjective or more subjective, but, you know, I'm still hearing there is this kind of bend that has to happen if you're... Um, performing in a Western coffee competition, but you can still use the 15 minute space to be able to speak your mind and make those connections and try to lessen the subjectivity and, and broaden an understanding. At least on a global level, which I never competed at, um, at a global level, looking at the very diverse makeup of the judges, as well as the fact that People who pursue judging these competitions and pursue loving coffee the way they do tend to be um, taste-oriented, I might say. Um, people who enjoy trying and experiencing different foods and flavors. At least that's my experience with the people that I've come across. So as a result, they would, my inkling to say is they would have a um, wider or a broader set of taste experiences to be able to pull from than maybe your average individual in any culture or any country. But there's a really good example. Um, there's a really classic example of why the same sort of flavor that you find in a very prototypical uh, high altitude washed Kenyan coffee in the Americas would be described as having the flavor blackberry. But in the UK, you would see blackcurrant. Or even in some of Asia, you'd have blackcurrant or ribena, <laughs> which is a blackcurrant uh, concentrated juice product. Um, and the reason why is these flavors are very, very analogous. They're very similar. But because of access, um, you see one in one area and the other in the other and different words to use to describe a very similar thing. Do you have a, a chance to study your judges a little bit? Do you know who they are, where they come from, what their background is? Do, do they have their own profiles before you get to speak with them to, to kind of gauge whether you're going to say Blackberry or Blackcurrant, you know, in that example you just gave? Or is it mostly just trying to find the most universal shared identity of how you might describe it? I think in those scenarios, the judges are people who have been in the coffee industry enough to be aware of these kinds of flavor analogs. Um, they're people who 
are not just uh, randomly picked off the street and they do also have to calibrate amongst each other prior to the competitions as well. And they have to stay calibrated. Many of them are often either business owners in the industry or have tasting as part of their, maybe a, a large component of their actual work. So there's not too much worry to actually say like, oh, are they going to be able to understand what I have to say? Um, that being said, no, you don't get to know who exactly will your judges be ahead of time. You can find out who your judges won't be if you have friends that are judging and have declared you or straight up tell you that they're declaring that you're a conflict. So you know who won't judge you. But if you hang around the coffee competition circles long enough, you kind of get to know who everybody is because it's not that big. Circles are not that big. There may be even at world level competitions. I don't know there are not. I have a feeling there are fewer than 100 sensory judges. And you kind of over the course of the years see them come back and continue to judge and you find out what their names are, you find out what countries they're from, you find out what businesses they run, you find out um, how they're affiliated with the industry, and you find out uh, that someone that someone who knows someone who knows someone knows them. I, I feel like we got to the really big kind of, I, I don't know if this is quite the right word, the philosophical notes of you get to tell a story, you get to be part of that story, you get to find shared connection and values all through a cup of coffee. I feel like we've kind of skipped over the, the kind of straightforward thing of, are you all making the same cup of coffee? I was thinking back to what you said about that, that 15 minutes is your chance to tell your story as it relates to what you want to share with the judges, right? And you talked about dairy milk. As, as a big part of the industry and how some people maybe are very against it. And some people say, this is the only way, like you were talking about with the fat content of dairy milk versus the fat content of plant milk and kind of comparing those and their ability to create texture and things like that. So kind of coming back to the, the really just the competition itself, is everyone making the same cup of coffee? Is everyone making a standard latte, for example, or do you get to decide what type of coffee drink you're making and, and how does that process look? Yeah, there are 12 total beverages served across three beverage courses. So three types of beverages, four of each. Uh, they are specifically an espresso defined as a single espresso being roughly 30 milliliters of coffee that is produced in an espresso machine comprised solely of coffee and water and nothing else. Um, there is a milk beverage, which is restricted to, uh, for each milk beverage, espresso and dairy milk, cow milk. Uh, it can, there is a size restriction. Uh, I don't remember exactly off the top of my head, but I think it falls somewhere between 120 milliliters to 220 milliliters. Uh, and it also has to have foam on it, as well as some form of latte art. And then the third beverage is what's called the signature beverage. It must, each signature beverage must contain the contents of one full espresso and any other ingredients of the barista's choosing, except for alcohol and controlled substances. And so the barista, over the course of 15 minutes, pulls 12 shots of espresso, serves four of them as espresso, prepares four milk beverages and four signature beverages, and serves them in whichever order they like. Espresso first, milk beverage second, signature beverage third, switch up any of the order of the courses. Um, but you must serve the complete course uh, at the same time to all four judges. I imagine that's a big part of the story is what gets served in what order as well. Like you said, that that they can choose the order that that can be part of the narrative they want the judges to be a part of. Of the experience that you want to create. And you're also not limited to only one type of coffee. So uh, some people will choose to use one coffee 
a coffee that you would have to source and select yourself, not provided for by the competition. Uh, some people choose to use three types of coffee, one different coffee for each course. And all, some people use more. Some people might choose to blend coffees for a course, to use two different coffees, blend them together, brew an espresso using the blend and serve it. And that is up to the, the creativity and the desire of the competitor and how it is in service to the experience that they're trying to create. I'm interested to know one of your specialty drinks that you brought to these competitions. I know you might not have all of the details, but what, what was one of your memorable specialty drinks that you think left an impact on, on the story that you wanted to create? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> you have to think back to 2018, 2019 now. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, between 2017 and 2019, a few different, quite a few competitions. There are very specific guiding principles to what makes a signature beverage successful. The same kind of things that we talked about prior, if it hasn't been already clear through our discussion, is there is a rubric by which um, judges assign points. And, and if it hasn't been already clear, if you, you have to say what it's going to taste like, and the judges have to taste what it tastes. But within the signature beverage itself, the barista not only has to say what the signature beverage tastes like, but has to be able to describe what the coffee by itself will taste like and why when adding the ingredients and preparing the beverage in the way the barista does, the resulting taste and texture and experience of the signature beverage becomes something greater than the sum of its parts. So if your espresso tastes like mandarin orange and cloves and black tea, and you decide to add orange juice, black tea, and a clove simple syrup, and then your signature beverage tastes like mandarin orange, cloves, and black tea, that is not having a resulting beverage that is greater than the sum of its parts. For me, I remember getting a very fun coffee. It was unique and new at the time. <laughs> not, it's a common practice, not common practice, but uh, it's very trendy now. It was a coffee that was, for your listeners or yourself, if you're not aware, coffee grows as a fruit on a tree. And the seeds of that fruit are what we then roast and then brew into coffee. But how you remove the fruit portion of that coffee will greatly impact the flavor of the coffee to very, very large degrees. Um, if you do it in a very poor and unhygienic manner, you can end up with coffee that is moldy, the seeds that is that is moldy, or that um, will have very, very strong or smelly, strange flavors that might be offensive to people. If you do it in a very hygienic manner, or maybe hygienic is not the right word because there's a fermentation involved, so there will be bacteria and yeasts, et cetera. But if you do it in a controlled manner, that's probably the, the better word to use there. If you do it in a controlled manner, um, you can result in some very, some coffees that have a high and refreshing acidity to balance the kind of strong, rich coffee, deep coffee tones that you might expect from a cup of coffee. So the coffee that I was using was uh, processed in a manner that was similar to how you would process cacao. Cacao also is a fruit. It grows in a pod directly off of the tree. The pod gets opened up and you have all these seeds that are covered in mucilage and you have to ferment it in order for the mucilage to break down to get at this, the cacao nibs that you then roast, crack open, and then grind into chocolate or cocoa liquor. Um, so this coffee ended up undergoing a fermentation process that mimicked some of the fermentation process within chocolate. So I decided to take inspiration from that. And instead of cold brewing coffee, I cold brewed a single origin cacao nib. But what was special to me was the story 
behind the producer that produced the coffee that I received and the story behind the cacao producer that produces cacao was interested in. Both of these individuals at different points in time in history were very curious about how to become, uh, how, how to think about their crops in a way that would increase its monetary value. And the way they did so was through, on the one hand, yes, clever marketing, but on the other hand, actually being creative with the process that resulted in the chocolate or the coffee. And that process ended up imparting very exciting flavors. The cacao in this instance became extremely fruity with flavors of strawberry and uh, citrus and just lot of acid. And then so I made a cold brew of that cacao and mixed the coffee, which also had rich flavors of all sorts of different kinds of stone fruits, um, peaches, plums, uh, also citrus, but also had tones of, of oak and bourbon and spice. And to take that and mix that with the cold brew cacao, and some saline solution, so just like salt water, a salt water tincture, uh, and uh, some simple syrup. And that created a beverage uh, that tasted like tropical fruits, so mangoes, pineapples, kiwis. Really interesting. Uh, it sounds like it's back to that score the most points mindset. You're not necessarily making your favorite cup of coffee, but you're thinking, What's going to stand out? What's going to be memorable? What's going to tell a story? What's going to get those points? Is that is that the kind of mindset in that creation? It is, but the taste, the the beverage has to be tasty because once again, it's a it's a tasty coffee competition. And in this case, it was a it was a chilled beverage that I served in a coupe glass, kind of like you might experience a Boulevardier or like a Manhattan or something in that in that vein. Being uh, sorry, those two being cocktails. Is this something that you've had before? Did you make it for yourself before the competition? Yeah, you would go, uh, competitors will have to go through rounds of creation and experimentation and, and ideation. And it's 99% frustration and horrible tasting brown liquids. <laughs> um, but you, you get there, you get there. If you... Um, I'm, I, I don't know if any of your listeners want to compete in a barista competition, but in my mind, the things that you're always trying to balance are sweetness, acidity, bitterness, and finding complementary flavors. So when you play by uh, those kinds of rubrics, then you can land on something that is really fun and really tasty. And you end up with people doing extremely creative things. But at the end of the day, are balancing the sweetness of the beverage, the acidity of the beverage, the flavors that are being incorporated, trying to manage the bitterness of the beverage because coffee is a bitter, bitter beverage. And then also people do things for texture. Um, I've used uh, whipping siphons, the ISI cream whipping siphons to create texture. Uh, people will use blenders to create texture. Wow. So kind of looking at the bigger picture of you as a competitor and what it means to you now and everything like that. I think you said you started as, was it a psychology graduate? Mm -hmm. And then you kind of made that joking jab of you went into baristaing, you became competitive at your barista work. And now from my understanding, you work in data science. So, you know, just looking all over, you know, we've all been there. My, my brother, who, of course, you know, went from yes. uh, astrophysics to data science as well. So we all have our journeys. Now, I'm just curious to know what your relationship is to coffee right now or what it is to baristaing right now. Do you and your uh, wife have cups of coffee in the morning do you only drink coffee for the thrill of competition? You know, what do you put art into your coffee even when there aren't points? What, what does it look like now? Or are you still actively competing when you have time to? For all intents and purposes have left the coffee industry. Um, I'm no longer working in it. Um, although I try to stay engaged and aware of what's going on, 
And I think I'm always looking for opportunities to either participate or give back to it. Um, unfortunately, over the last few years with the pandemic, travel has not been possible. And these competitions, which rely heavily on clustered people sharing beverages out of the same <laughs> out of the same drinking implements um, are not really infectious disease friendly. So they have been for the most part canceled all across the world. But I was already leaving the coffee industry when I coached at this event that I shared with you about earlier. And I plan on making myself available to people who want to compete in the future if COVID doesn't end up becoming endemic. And uh, yeah, finding ways to participate and support those who are on their coffee journeys. Looking for ways to, to continue to, to share my knowledge that I've collected. It's, I'm not uh, by any means the most knowledgeable person in the industry, but almost a decade of pursuing it has, I feel like, left me with resources that I can give to others. So yeah, trying to, trying to at least be available in that way. But otherwise, no, otherwise I've, I've, I've left. I uh, went through a process of discovering that who I am as a person isn't fully tied to what I do for work and my passion surrounding that. And uh, I think landing in a much healthier place where work, data science, but actually these days really mostly um, client work which is uh, a lot of relational skills I developed while being a barista. Share, shared talents throughout the different industry. Yeah. Share, shared learned, learned skills. Yeah, for sure. Um, where, where those things can be a positive element of my life and those things can be things within work that I do enjoy, but maybe not what I base my identity and base my worth around, which is, which is something that I couldn't really um, separate when I was, when I was working in coffee. I know you've made some, some nice recommendations so far. If anyone wants to get into uh, competitive barista work, you know, balancing the different flavors. I, I think of someone like my mother who I just introduced coffee to just a few years ago. She was an avid tea drinker and I really tried to uh, introduce her to coffee through the, uh, the very popular now dirty chai as I imagine you're familiar with, you know, a chai tea mm -hmm. for, for those that don't know a chai tea with a shot of espresso, uh, often with foamed milk. And that was definitely her gateway coffee drink. And I, now I make it for her all the time. I even get her to drink some coffee straight up. So, you know, I, I, I bring this story up because I think for those that are new to the coffee drinking world, the coffee appreciation world, because I think what I'm hearing from you, it's not just about competition, it's about appreciation. That's where your story began, was back in that group, just appreciating, and then you decided you liked that thrill of competition. What do you, what do you recommend for, for people that are new to coffee uh, or new to trying to appreciate coffee and not just downing it to get that caffeine fix to get through the day, where should, where should people begin? What should they do to start to appreciate coffee in a whole new way to let the coffee try and tell a story? I, I once heard someone say what I'm going to repeat back to you, which is we are all tasters because tasting is just thinking while eating or drinking. It's that simple. Um, and the process to begin enjoying anything that we consume is to stop and think about it. I think when we eat or drink habitually, it's uh, especially coffee, which is uh, a functional beverage for most people. And it's easy to just drink it and kind of try and make it so that it just tastes good enough or that we, you know, kind of, fold it into our routine and that we don't really think about it. And excuse me, I, I can be considered similar when I've woken up and I'm having my first cup of coffee. I'm not really thinking that deeply about, oh, what flavors are here? What's going on, etc. But in the afternoons, if I'm going to have a second cup of coffee of the day um, and I have a nicer coffee or whatever it is, or if I go out and I have coffee with friends or 
anything in regards to that, all it takes to start appreciating coffee or anything and learning what you like and what you don't like is just stopping and going, hmm, I'm going to think about what's in my mouth right now. Oh, okay. I now have a bunch of signals or feelings that I don't know what to do with. If that's the case, I would always start with the basic tastes. Is it sweet? Is it sour? Is it salty? Is it bitter? Is it savory? Or umami, people will call it umami as well. Um, and start there. And then if you taste coffee and go, oh, today my coffee is really sour. Do you like that? If you like it, cool. If you don't like it, now you know. Um, and when you, when you progress from there, uh, I often like to say, think of fruits, flowers, nuts, uh, herbs, spices, anything. And see if you can taste it and go, well, this tastes strong to me. Okay, strong because it's heavy, it feels thick, or strong because it um, is intense, or it feels like it's um, rich. Start using descriptors. Start maybe associating. Is that is it rich or strong? Because it's kind of reminds me of of chocolate or or peanuts or or because it reminds me of of like the burnt end of a steak. Whatever it is. And um, as you start thinking about it, as you start experiencing it, you start enjoying it. That's, that's my perspective. That's, uh, that's what I would share. And that's, what I, that's how I have shared it with, with others, how to start enjoying coffee, how to start thinking about coffee. But I would say those are, it's a process that can be, can be done with, with anything else that you consume. For sure. Thanks so much for your time, Chris. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Pass Your Passion. Remember, as always, to pass your passion because you don't know who you're going to inspire next.